Thank you so much. Do you all get a blessing from that music? Yeah. I'd like to thank our Reading Adventist Academy musicians for coming and blessing this worship today. Are you ready for a 45-minute sermon? Yeah. Wow. I was thinking 15. All right. Well, we'll see how that goes. Let's take a Bible. We have Bibles in the pews if you do not have one. And we're doing a series on the book of Acts. So I'd like us to turn to chapter 13. And what we will be doing today, we will be going through chapter 14, and we will be finishing Paul's first, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. As we open God's Word, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the guidance of your holy word. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take these words that are read and expressed this morning and just rivet them in our hearts. Show us how to apply these truths to the community in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first missionary journey of Barnabas and Saul, later to be called Paul, started in a church called Antioch in Syria. We actually have a map up there. To the right, you can see Antioch. Now, there's two Antiochs, so people get confused. But this is Antioch in Syria. The movement is now from Jerusalem, from this strong Jewish emphasis in Jerusalem to a non or less Jewish emphasis Majority of the world were non-Jews. The gospel had to go to those people, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. While it's contained in its Jewish clothes, it is always limited. But this is a universal gospel message, amen? It can go to anybody in any part of the world. When men and women realize that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, somebody has to come along and tell them good news, good news of grace. And, and God chose two men to do that very thing. In Acts chapter 13, it says in verse 2, while some of these leaders were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Some people want to call Acts of the Apostles the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and it's because of passages like we've just read that they say that the Holy Spirit is obviously in control. This is the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an extension of the mission of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to initiate this first missionary journey, and he's going to complete that, and going to use these two men, Barnabas and Saul. So in chapter 14, we find ourselves at a place called Iconium. So there's three cities going to be mentioned, Iconium, Lystra, which is the majority of chapter 14, and this place called Derby that Paul says very little about. So at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. So how did they evangelize? Um, 
in the first century? Well, it was through the Jewish synagogue. But aren't we talking about reaching Gentiles? Why would he go to a Jewish synagogue to reach a non-Jewish world? Well, there were often Jewish converts that they would find there, but also non-Jewish converts, people that were attracted to Judaism. Maybe the Holy Spirit was working in their lives, and they were uh, checking out the local synagogue. So that's where Barnabas and Saul went to. And it says there that they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So one of the things I want to throw out right at the beginning is what is effective speaking? In what way are Barnabas and Saul effective? Because we're going to see a divided audience. Nothing is mentioned about their eloquence. Paul was probably the main speaker. It just says that some believed and some did not believe. So can effective speaking, some of you in this room are, are witnessing on the streets or you're preaching from a pulpit, think about what is effective speaking. It says here in the text, that they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, verse 2, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. Would you have done that, or would you have moved on? Felt that there was some resistance? Let's go to an easier field. But they stayed there probably a number of months trying to establish speaking boldly, explaining perhaps more clearly what they were about, and strengthening, I'm sure, those that believed. So they spoke boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and miracles and wonders. So that puts another twist in this Here's these men preaching their hearts out, teaching their hearts out, trying to do everything they could to explain the good news. Why is Jesus Christ good news? What makes him good news? To many Jewish minds, he was a criminal that was put upon a cross. What makes Jesus good news? Well, Paul and Barnabas would explain that. And they would explain it boldly. They would explain it confidently. They would be willing to answer questions. One uh, gentleman that I brought into the Seventh-day Adventist church once almost became a Catholic, but the Catholics would never answer his questions. We don't want a church like that, do we? We don't have anything to hide, do we? We should be open and transparent and do the best we can to explain so that people can be strengthened. Well, the Holy Spirit's way of doing it was the Word would be proclaimed and then signs and wonders. doesn't tell us what those signs and wonders were. Miracles were taking place. This is not Benny Hinn on the platform filling the auditorium up. This is a genuine moving of the Holy Spirit. This is something that we will see in the Adventist church before Christ comes back. When doors will be opened, people hungering and thirsting after the Word of God. Signs, wonders, and miracles are something that Seventh-day Adventists, at least in their teachings, still believe. 
the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. But Barnabas and Saul heard about this plot and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Do you remember Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to do it to you. But when they do it to you, if possible, move on. If possible. And here was an opportunity where Barnabas and Saul could move on. And they did. And everywhere they went, it says in verse 7, they continued to preach good news. What is the good news? Let's define that. The good news is that Jesus Christ, now this was very hard, very, very hard for a Jewish mind to get a hold of, that the Lord Jesus Christ will make people right with God if they trust in Him. Sometimes we call that belief. Sometimes we call that faith. I've used the word trust. That this man that God sent is able to deal with my sin. You don't have to be Jewish to be accepted by God. You don't have to be religious to be accepted by God. But you have to go through Jesus Christ to be accepted by God. Well, this is a hard thing for a Jewish mind to accept. Yes, we know that God will accept Jewish people. But you're telling me that God will accept on that basis, without circumcision, without all of the stuff that goes with being a Jew, ceremonial system, and just a, a lot of things, even keeping of the Ten Commandments, you're telling me that God will accept a person while they're ungodly? That is the gospel. That is the good news. It may not be all of the good news, but it's the most important part to get in. You've got to get someone through the door first. And this is the way to do it. And God must have known that Barnabas and Paul would lay that emphasis with this non-Jewish audience. And so that's one of the reasons why he selected them. There were Jewish Christians that just could not grasp this concept. They were probably from the Pharisaical party, and they hounded Paul through his whole ministry, just as the Pharisaical leaders hounded the Lord Jesus Christ. In Lystra, verse 8, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. Now, we just read about signs and wonders in another city, here we're going to see one in Lystra. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, preachers are told to have good eye contact. Maybe here's a good reason to have good eye contact. Somehow he knows, probably because of the unction of the Holy Spirit, that this man had faith to be healed, and I believe to be saved. It comes all from the same root word. Salvation means healing. It means wholeness. It comes from the same stock. But anyway, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up, up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, if this happened in Anderson Church this morning, this man would be doing cartwheels down the center aisle. This man is excited. Are you excited? 
Are you excited that God can do signs, wonders, and miracles? That he can take a body that is dead in certain ways and make it come alive? But more importantly, he can take the human spirit and give that life. So I expect this man to be just so ecstatic, but Luke doesn't give us those details. It just says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, by the way, a language that Paul and, and Barnabas probably didn't understand, the gods have come down to us in human form. Now, within paganism, that wasn't an unusual thought. We see it in Christianity. God has come down to us in human form in the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that incarnation, where God became flesh. Now, they're not thinking of that because they're pagans, because they're heathens, because they know no better. And there was a myth, a story, that two gods had come in human form in the past to Lystra, to that area, and that they had visited many, many people, but these many, many people would not embrace them, would not open the door, would not give them a place to sleep, and there were just two individuals that would do that, and they destroyed the rest of them. And these folks who were living in Lystra knew that story, believed that story, and they thought, man, that's not going to happen again. We're going to make sure that we worship these men, as should have happened with Zeus and Hermes. So the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now this isn't this isn't exactly like going to Hawaii and getting one of these, uh, what are they called that they put around you? All right, not like that. But this, this is to honor these men, to, to celebrate these men, to worship the men. It is a form of idolatry. And in the book of Acts, we have a king, one of the Herods, who accepted that kind of worship from the crowd. And the Bible said the Lord struck him down, worms ate him up, and he died. Paul and Barnabas, they're not going to fall for that, are they? So, they're ready to slit the throat of the bull, shed its blood on the altar, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. Now, I'm not going to take my jacket off and tear it this morning, though that would be something that you'd always talk about. But they tore their clothes. It was a Jewish way of, of uh, showing disgust. And they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men. Humans like you. We are bringing you good news. There it is again. Comes through constantly. Let's always remember where the emphasis should be. The good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, and sea, and everything in them. Ever heard that phrase before? Where do you find it? Find it in the first book, Genesis. You find it in the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. This is creation language. We find it in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, an end-time message. So maybe our message at the end of the age is very similar to Paul's message. Do we not live in a heathen world, 
at least in the sense of spiritual things. Everybody forms God in their own image. And somehow you and I have to go out of this building and share Jesus in the marketplace of ideas. And whichever Jesus you share, make sure he's good news. I just want to die when I hear Seventh-day Adventists saying, well, you have to do this and you have to do that before God will accept you. No, you come through Jesus. He justifies the ungodly, Paul says, in another place. That's why, or one of the reasons why, this is such good news. But pastor, what about all the other stuff? Well, that comes later. Some of it comes later. Some of it should be jettisoned. And you have to, you have to understand who you are. Paul was very good at adapting his message. He had a core belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. But then if he was speaking to a Jewish audience, he would lay much more emphasis on the Old Testament and proof texts and things like that. But with a non-Jewish audience, here he's just talking about the living God. Who's this living God? Well, he's the one who, see that sky up there? You see that tree? You hear those birds? You see the food put on your table? Even the joy in your heart? Wow. I thought Christians just had the joy of the Lord. Even the joy in your heart, God has put that there. And so he says, in the past, he let all nations go their way, verse 16. And yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I suppose it's part of human nature to, that when you speak and preach and teach, that you want the audience to embrace you rather than throw the rotten tomatoes or is it tomatoes well if they're rotten you don't want them but notice how fickle this crowd is didn't they do that to Jesus they said Hosanna in one breath and then they said a short time later crucify him then some Jews, verse 19, came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So they have traveled quite a distance. Iconium is not that far away, but Antioch, of, this is not the Antioch of Syria, it's the, another Antioch, quite, quite a distance, maybe 100 miles. They're determined to stone Paul. And they won the crowd over and they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Get the refuge out of the city dump this blasphemous man out of the city. This is the Jewish execution, Jewish punishment for blasphemy. My question is, where was the blasphemy? This is good news about Jesus Christ. This is a message of grace. Where's, what's wrong with that? Well, the hard part for the Jewish man, as I said earlier, is to accept that non-Jews who they would consider primarily as wild dogs, who never had the law, who never had all of this Jewish stuff. Is there any advantage in being a Jew? Paul says, much in every way. Is there advantage in being a Seventh-day Adventist? Ah, we're not sure about that. 
But we should say much in every way if it's a message of grace. If it's Christ-centered, yes, much in every way. But we don't want to become so narrow-minded that God is just going to save us. And the rest of them, well, they're like garbage to be thrown on the rubbish heap. Well, they gave Paul a good stoning. I don't know if anyone in this room has ever been stoned. I guess if I look in your face, I would see the scars, right? Here's another miracle. It doesn't actually, Luke doesn't say he was dead. But it's surely miraculous that this man, who the crowd thought was dead, and I'm sure the believers thought was dead, can get up on his feet and then walk back into that city. So they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Paul never forgot, nor would you and I forget something like that, because our body would always feel it. He never forgot that stoning in Lystra. And he talks about it in 2 Corinthians and in some other places. Well, these men are not going to be deterred. It says in verse 21, they preached the good news in that city, Derby. They won a large number of disciples, seemed to have no opposition. At least Luke doesn't mention it. And then they returned where to? Lystra. Why would you go back? Iconium, Antioch, places where they wanted to kill him. Well, here's the reason, verse 22. Strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. When there are converts made, some of you may be in the process of leading someone to Christ or you've just led someone to Christ. Maybe you've seen somebody uh, follow that up with getting baptized. But the discipling process has only just begun. It's like you've got the first foot on the rung of the ladder. The most important step has been taken, but there's a whole life to be lived. So it says here that they strengthened these believers. Now last quarter, many of you in this room stood at a book called Galatians. This is the territory of Galatia where all this is happening in chapter 14. And Paul goes ballistic because these Galatian believers have been led astray so quickly by Jewish influence. People were saying, well, let's find what Paul said, find what Barnabas said, but you need something a little bit extra to really, really cement yourself as one of God's remnant people. You need to get circumcised, or you need to do this, that, or the other. And the whole book of Galatians deals with that issue. So they go to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples, I understand that, as giving them teaching and doctrine, grounded, trying to ground them in the faith and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. First time that we hear of Gentile elders being established in this particular vicinity for them in every church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, Pamphylia, 
Isn't it a pain when the pastor asks you to read Scripture in church and you get names like this? And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch. Mission accomplished. That's the title of my sermon this morning. They began in Antioch. They're completing their journey by going back where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done through them. Is there time in your church where you can tell what God is doing through you? It's an exciting thing to be used by God to lead people to Christ and how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So that's the completion of the first missionary journey to the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world, using men like Barnabas and Paul. The onus is upon us, those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who know the good news, to take this Jesus message out of this building into your neighborhood, wherever you are, and let God use you, go through that door of faith, let God use you to win many to the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest assured that the greatest missionary of the Holy Spirit is doing His work. He's preparing hearts right now. There's people in your family, people in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood who do not know Christ. They're in ignorance. They need to be told the truth as it is in Jesus. And do it under the unction of the Holy Spirit in the most graceful way that you know how, and God will bless. Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you for people like Barnabas and Paul, that they could hit the nail right on the head, lay the emphasis on the, the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news. Probably talked about his high ministry in heaven and his soon return. Help us, Lord, to go out into our community and share the good news of Jesus is our prayer in his name. Amen.